You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. The firing of three cannons so loud and so quick in succession caused a dreadful commotion in the whole line of extended camps. The musicians belonging to the whole army, myself included among the number, at the instant the third gun was fired, played and beat up the tune, Two Arms, Two Arms. In less than five minutes, the whole of the two or three brigades were in line and under arms, the field officers all mounted on horseback and at their posts, awaiting the orders of the commanding general, as also a knowledge of what had given rise to so hasty an alarm. We were not long, however, under arms before the much-desired knowledge was bestowed in being officially announced unto us, that of the traitorism of General Benedict Arnold and the capture of Major John Andre, his spy. At this intelligence, the whole army was, as it were, convulsed. We stood almost day and night upon our arms, for I suppose three days and three nights at least. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. The voice you just heard was young Emma Sloan, who is a drummer in today's Fife and Drum Corps. She was reading an account of the recollections of Captain Samuel Deweese, an American fifer in the Revolutionary War. Deweese remembers doing his part as a musician to assemble American troops at West Point with the duty tune to arms. Accounts like those of Deweese underscore the importance of the fife and drum in the American Revolution. Today our guest is Professor Keith Griffion, who is from the Physics Department at the College of William & Mary, and he has joined us today to talk about the fifes and drums. I'm so excited about this topic today because for years we have gone with this prevailing wisdom that the fifes and drums can be heard over long distances, and that's what made them particularly suited for battlefield and camp conditions because they could be heard for miles over the sounds of battle or the sounds of camp life. So we started wondering about why it carried, how they carry, how that sound really works, and whether we can see um, scientifically with our physics professor guest here today, whether we can determine scientifically um, how that works, if that's true, what's really at work here when we're hearing the fifes and drums. So, um, Dr. Griffioyne, thank you so much for being here today. And um, maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about how sound works. Sound is a wave. The best way for us to visualize a wave is with water waves. Take a pebble and throw it into a pond, and what happens? You see a disturbance in the surface of the water that rings come outward from the point where the stone was thrown in. If you look at that carefully, you see that each ring is water that has piled up a little bit, followed by water that has been taken away in the process. And this ring propagates outward with a speed. That's the speed of the wave. If I were to measure the difference between one crest of the wave and the next crest, that's what we call the wave length. If I were to sit at one position and watch the water rise and fall, rise and fall, the measurement of how many times the wave rises and falls per second is what we call the frequency. The universal principle of waves is that the wave length multiplied by the frequency gives the speed of the wave. So what's actually happening? In sound, the medium is not water as in a water wave or 
electricity and magnetism as in a light wave, but it is the molecules in the air themselves. So we have this image we can keep in our mind of the ripples on the water, and you've told us the mm -hmm. fundamentals of how sound moves through air, through that fluid medium, in, this, in the same way. When it really gets interesting is when it reaches our ears and mm -hmm. how our ears perceive and detect these waves. What do we know about sounds and the ear? So what happens is that the sound comes in, you've got this little ear lobe on the outside here, which is there to catch sound. In fact, you put your hands cupped behind your ears and you can get more sound coming into your ears that way. Then there is the ear canal, which is a little flute itself. It resonates at frequencies around 3,000 vibrations per second. So those sounds we can hear much better. And then the sound comes down the ear canal and it hits the eardrum. Well, the eardrum is just like the little head of a drum. And so the sound waves coming in, high pressure pushes on the wave, pushes on the eardrum, and this starts oscillating back and forth, and your brain interprets it. So this is the process of hearing sound. But the amazing thing about the ear is that it is such a sensitive detector that it can measure sound energy over 10 to 12 powers of 10 in energy, which is quite amazing. So if you think about this, 10 or 12 powers of 10 is really a factor of a trillion. So you can hear something very, very, very quiet and something very, very loud with the same mechanism. So these are the, the theoretical basics of sound and how sound works. What happens when we apply this to the physical, when we get to the question that has brought us here today mm -hmm. about the fifes and drums? The big question for me going into this interview was, um, are fifes and drums more perceivable over distance than, say, a tuba and a piano? And I think that the answer maybe is no. So there's, so there's more to the story than just volume, than just the way that we say sound carries. There's so much more to this story of why, you know, in an evolutionary way, um, battles, battlefields settled on the fifes and drums as their most effective tools of communication. What are we hearing when we hear the fifes and drums, and why does it seem like they're louder or maybe easier to pick out from uh, a din? So as, as we mentioned, the sounds that we perceive, whether it's a voice or a musical instrument, is not a single frequency of sound, but multiple frequencies. And so the, the tone color, the nature of the particular sound beyond the pitch that we hear, is because of this combination of overtones or harmonics. So in a particular note, you find a fundamental frequency and then you find twice that frequency, three times, four times, five times, and so forth. I can demonstrate that here on this keyboard. If this is the pitch that you hear, what's built into that note, its harmonic recipe, contains this pitch, this, this, this. and many, many more at higher and higher frequencies. Now imagine playing all of these together. Your ear interprets that not as 
10 or 100 different frequencies, but as a single frequency, this with the tone color. In this case, it's the tone color of a piano. So what makes this sound like a piano compared to another instrument playing that same pitch is that harmonic recipe. How much and what intensity all of these overtones, all of these harmonics have. So when people speak, this happens. When people play musical instruments, this happens. Now, the very interesting thing about sound, and the fortunate thing about sound, is that all frequencies of sound travel at the same speed. So, so it's to let this idea sink in for a second, the, the, the metaphor of the, or the example of the tuba and the piano, both of those sounds are traveling at the same speed. Right, so it doesn't matter if it's high sounds or low sounds or in-between sounds, they all travel at the same speed. If they didn't, then my voice, when you were listening to me across a football field, would be completely garbled. So they travel at the same speed. Do they, another um, concept I've learned about in researching this um, discussion today is the concept of sound decay. If they travel at the same speed, do they break down at the same rate as well? They do not. And in most cases, the way that musical instruments work and the way that sound propagates in, in air, you find that the higher frequency sounds die out quicker than the lower frequency sounds. So for us here today, this means that the fife is actually a more fragile sound than a lower frequency sound like the drum. I wouldn't say necessarily fragile, and because your ear has such a sensitivity, you can still hear it, but its intensity falls off faster than the, the lower sounds. That's, that's pretty typical. This is fascinating to me because I think when I think about the fifes and drums, the fife is the sound that I feel like I pick up. That is the sound that's more potent. So to understand that scientifically it's actually decaying more quickly than the drum sound really kind of turns this whole understanding I had on its head because why is it that the fife seems like such so much louder or so much more perceptible? One of the reasons for this is because your ear does not hear all frequencies with the same sound intensity level at the same volume. So your ear is more sensitive in this range of around 3,000 vibrations per second, 3,000 to 3,500 vibrations per second. And that's because your little ear canal here is, is acting like a resonator. It amplifies those frequencies. When you look at the sound that the fife makes, it has a harmonic recipe, but the harmonic recipe is fairly basic. So you have what we hear as the, the pitch, and then you have a frequency twice that, three times and four times, but primarily those frequencies that are in the vicinity. Those tend to be around this 3,500 cycles per second where your ear is most sensitive which means that even though the sound intensity may not be as loud, the sound you get in your ear, because of its higher sensitivity in that range, makes the five sound perhaps louder than it is. It's all about the instrument that we're perceiving it so with. So it's about, exactly. So is this the same principle that's behind high-pitched sounds that get our attention like sirens or alarms or babies crying? 
Right. We talked about how the, the fife sound works and decays. I need to ask you, too, about how does the sound of a drum work? We know that the fife is a high-frequency sound that decays a little bit more quickly in the atmosphere in the, in the presence of things like humidity. Uh, what, how does the drum behave outside? How Does it carry farther? It, does it behave differently than the fife? Well, the drum is a membrane, which is just something that you can get to vibrate by hitting it. The frequencies that a drum makes are not these nice frequencies that are twice, three times, four times, five times what we call the fundamental frequency, but they're kind of willy-nilly. And the consequence is when you hit a drum, you don't hear a particular pitch necessarily. You say it's kind of a low sound, but you don't have a definite pitch. But still there are a number of different frequencies that contribute. And then the body of the drum itself acts like a resonator, an amplifier. And so you get the sound from the drum. But it gives you an attack, so a very sharp sound at the beginning that dies off rather quickly. So in that sense, the, the drum is giving you rhythm. It's giving you percussive sounds that you can discern because you know, they have a very sharp beginning. And then you know, the, the decay is relatively rapid and the sound that's left over after a second or so is not very great. Whereas the fife, you can make a continuous sound because you, as long as you keep blowing, the sound persists. Obviously, you're not a historian. That's not your field of expertise. But if you were to surmise or suppose why, these, why this combination of sounds was effective, what would you guess about why the fife and drums uh, were effective, why that worked? There are several things one can point out. The first is there's a principle of the way that sound travels which we call diffraction. So what this means is that sound basically has the idea to, to or sound has the ability to move out and even bend around corners. Waves that have very long wavelengths are able to bend around objects like buildings. So the consequence, and you can notice this, if you're hearing the fife and drum corps coming up the street, you can't see them yet. You don't hear the fifes, you hear the drums. Because the low frequency sounds of the drums are actually able to sort of bend around the buildings that are in the way and to come to you Whereas the sounds from the fife, which are higher frequencies, bounce off the buildings, but they don't travel around them. And so at a distance, you hear only the drums, at least if they're around the corner. From the fife, you get direct sound. When we think about these two sounds as a pair, a low frequency wave and a high frequency wave, is there something about that combination that um, makes it more suited to the, the use that we're seeing it used for in the Revolutionary Era or in camp or in battle, communicating sounds outside. Is there something about this pairing of a low frequency and a high frequency sound that you think would make it especially well adapted for this purpose? Well, here's another feature of the way that we perceive sound, that low frequencies, because they can bend around things, when your ears are trying to determine where a sound is coming from, 
And this has been important for us because you hear sound and you turn immediately toward where that sound is coming from so that you can look and see what it is and is it dangerous. So with low frequency sound, the sound bends around your head as it comes through. This is this diffraction that happens. So the sound that comes into one ear may be slightly delayed from the sound that comes into the other ear because it's bent around like this. The consequence is that you can measure that difference and that will tell you a direction. For high frequency sounds, your ear does this a different way. The sounds can't bend around your head, but if the sound is coming at an angle, it hits one ear and the other ear is in a shadow. And so you get a louder sound in one ear than the other ear. And so then again, your head turns to try to equalize the sound in the two ears and you figure out where things are coming from. So we started this discussion with uh, testing the hypothesis that the sound of the fifes and drums carries particularly well over uh, battlefields in outdoor conditions and can be heard or perceived particularly well over other noises, cannon, horses, shouting, whatever, or, or just regular camp noises if they're not in an actual active battle. Is this true? Can the fifes and drums be heard loud, more loudly or more clearly than any other pair of instruments. The fife and the drum can produce sustained notes or rhythms with various patterns. That's in contrast to the din of the outside, whether it's battle, whether it's anything else. What happens there is that you hear a lot of sounds that may be episodic but fairly random. So there's not a repetitive pattern like you see in the fife and drum. So the drums are playing rhythms. Those rhythms are not the same rhythms that you hear with random cannon fire and all sorts of other noises that you would hear. So your ear then can distinguish the signal, fife and drum, from the noise, which is random. So to me then, it comes down to uh, the way that we perceive sound, that there's nothing particular about the fife and the drum that make a sound that has a greater volume, that has a longer wavelength. Uh, th there are other instruments that could produce those same characteristics, but there's, it's more about the receiving end, the way that we perceive sound, than the instruments that create the sound. Right. But you could say there, there are other instruments that create low sounds, like a tuba. Well, it hadn't been invented yet, but that's impractical in a lot of ways. And also, it doesn't give you the percussive rhythm that you need if you're really trying to send some kind of distinct signal. Likewise, you could take other small instruments that are within that range of where your hearing is, is the best, but you also need something that's relatively simple, something that's easy to carry, and something that you can put in your back pocket so you always have with you. I think what you've shown us today is that it has a lot to do with uh, the instrument that you perceive it with and where those sounds reside and uh, what the complex components are of noise level and volume and frequency and sound. So I thank you actually for being here today and giving me a new way to think about the fifes and drums and how they work. Thank you so much You're for welcome. being our guest today. So to prove the theory, we go now to co-producer Ben Swenson who's doing an experiment in the field assisted by the fifes and drums. I'm here today at the Bruton Heights Educational Center with members of the Colonial Williamsburg Fifes and Drums. 
Bruton Heights is the epicenter of Colonial Williamsburg's educational efforts. It houses the museum's library, conservation labs, and recording studios. This complex also happens to be literally on the other side of the tracks. It's separated from the historic area by railroad tracks. Freight trains carrying coal and other raw materials to terminals east of here pass by many times a day. And I thought, what better place to illustrate Professor Griffian's explanation of the physics of sound than here? We don't have the actual sounds of battle that we might use to try to show just how easy it is to make out the fifes and drums through the cacophony of loud noise. And that's a good thing, considering the alternative. But Bruton Heights has, and you'll see this when you visit here, wide open spaces, an old schoolyard, a parking lot, all beside a pretty regular source of commotion. So first we're going to hear four members of the fifes and drums play the duty tune, Ceasefire, by itself, without any other ambient noise. Ceasefire was a duty call, and it would have told soldiers to stop firing on the battlefield. I'm standing probably 150 yards away, and if you were a soldier in the American Revolution, going about the business of battle, and all of a sudden you heard this, this is what it might have sounded like. We've waited here for about an hour and here comes a freight train loaded with thousands of tons of coal. Now we're going to hear the fifes and drums play ceasefire again and see if we can make it out over the noise of this barreling train. There you have it folks, definitely much harder to make out, but I think it's safe to say that even over a roar so loud as a freight train, the acoustic recipes, if you will, of the fifes and drums punches through, illustrating why these instruments were a preferred method of communication in the American Revolution and other conflicts. Special thanks today to members of the Colonial Williamsburg Fifes and Drums, Sergeant John Gaston, Lance Corporal Nathan Lynch, Sergeant Anthony Pinto, Lance Corporal John Byrne. Thanks for tuning in, I'm Ben Swenson. Thanks, Ben. Listen to the music of the Colonial Williamsburg fifes and drums throughout the historic area or download their recordings from cdbaby.com. Thanks so much for listening. We're always glad to hear from you. Send comments or suggestions from our webpage at podcast.history.org or find us on Facebook. To support the podcast and other Colonial Williamsburg programs, visit history.org slash donate.